0: So we've in this sermon series been talking about the wisdom that James brings to us. We started off a few weeks ago with listening what? Listening matters. Very good. Then we ended up with actions matter. Last week it was what matters? Words matter. And today we're talking about praying matters. So the question before you and me is when we pray, when we have a conversation with God, who is this God that we are praying to? What is the nature of this relationship? Several years ago, I was privileged to be speaking, the keynote speaker for a youth retreat, with a bunch of high schoolers in the Presbytery of the Yukon. So a collection of churches together is a presbytery. Well, you and I actually here are in the Presbytery of the Heartland. These are the Presbyterian churches, about 80 of us, who are collected here in the Kansas City greater area. Um, the Presbytery of the Yukon is the larger upper portion of Alaska. And it was a mid-winter retreat. I didn't quite catch that in the invitation. But they flew me out there in February to go to a camp outside of Anchorage. What I remember, it was a great time. The young people were great. The adults were great. I remember it was really, really oh. so cold that they gave me a cabin to myself, which was very nice, but it had this little electric heater that was doing its very best, and it was an exercise in futility to try to get that little cabin warm, so cold that on Friday night, I slept in my clothes in my jacket in the sleeping bag they gave to me. It was a mummy bag, the kind where you conceal everything up except for your little face, right? And so I remember still lying there, trying to sleep Friday night, and breathing. And I could see my breath, thinking it is cold inside. Saturday night, I was trying to sleep again. And about 3 in the morning, there was this urgent knock on the door of the (laughs) cabin, knocking, knocking, knocking. And I said, what, what, what? And I could tell that the knocking was urgent, but it wasn't an emergency because this lovely young voice, a young woman's voice said, Roger, you have to come out here. And I thought to myself, no, I really don't. (laughs) Because I'm inside and I'm cold. And she was urgent. She said, no, no, you have to come out here now. You have to see this. And I said, because I'm not the brightest of God's children, I said, outside? And she goes, yes, you have to. And so I got up, and I remember as soon as I unzipped the bag, right? suddenly it got colder, and I thought, oh, golly. And then when I opened the door to greet her, the cold just confronted me, just slapped me in the face. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. But she's really enthusiastic. She's all bundled up, and she's saying, you have to follow me, you have to follow me. And I'm like, "Uh, I really don't. No, you have to. So she leads me down the hill to the shore of the lake around which this camp is built. The lake has long since frozen over. I am following her footsteps, because I don't want to fall on the ice and the snow, right? February, outside of Anchorage, Alaska. I'm following her and following her. I glance up and I realize the entire camp, pretty much all the young people and adults, are in the middle of the lake. And I'm thinking, these Alaskans are crazy. And people are oohing and aahing, and I have no idea why. And then I get to the crowd, And she nudges me and says, look up. And I looked up, and I've seen northern lights before, but I had never seen them like that. It was as if there were bars in the sky, right? Long strips of color in the sky. They were bright blue and oranges and purples and greens and yellows. It was amazing. It was, like, it was like a curtain was draped across the entire sky. And it was as if God on the corner of the sky would grab the edge of the curtain and would shake it like this. And as the ripples went across the curtain, the colors would change, bright neon colors. And as we were there on the top of this frozen lake in February outside of Anchorage, one of the young men in the crowd yelled, You go, God! (laughs) And we all cheered, and we laughed, and applauded. This is what happens when you pray. When you pray, the God of the universe who created the northern lights, the God of the universe who created the subatomic particles that make up your DNA, When you and I pray, this God, who has lots to do, stops whatever God is doing and pays attention to you. James says praying matters. James in this verse says, are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any among you cheerful? They should sing songs. praise so Brooke who is our director of children and family ministry she reminds us that prayer is simply chatting with God it's chatting to God it's talking to God not about God it's just a conversation with God so who is this God that we pray to this is the God of the universe the maker of all things and God attends to us so why is it that you and I pray I have a real simple answer whenever I pray I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for wholeness. So James also says to us, are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray with them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Are any among you sick? Do any of you need to be healed? Does the world need healing? So you've seen the pictures I have, too. They're heart-wrenching. There are women and men, children, and young people who are terrified of what's going to happen to them. So they're doing everything they possibly can to leave Afghanistan. There were people who were holding on to planes as the planes were taking off. And they fell to their death. The best hospital in the port city in Western Haiti was destroyed by the earthquake last week. Our friend ruling elder Dr. Ted Higgins is there now safely. This morning he sent a picture that was powerful. He had returned to the compound where his surgery center and hospital is, and he was so grateful to hear children playing. He sent us a picture of children playing there. He realized when he was in western Haiti two days ago, the children there were not laughing and playing. They were sorting through rubble. They were looking for loved ones. There's lots of reasons we need to be healed. I've seen those pictures, some of you have too, of adults, adults screaming at each other at school board meetings. I've seen those pictures too of intensive care units that are filled again, and exhausted nurses and physicians and physicians' attendants. I've seen the pictures, too, of people leaving homes in the American West, terrified of the fires that are coming upon them, afraid of what's going to happen. Will anything be left? James says, are any among you sick? then you should call upon the elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Friends, James continues and says, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. The prayer of faith will save the sick, we will be healed and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. It's why we say this prayer of confession every time we gather because God is faithful and righteous and just and because God will forgive us. But here's the remarkable thing about the nature of God. In Jeremiah 31, God is speaking through the prophet and speaks to God's people. And God says, I will forgive their sins and remember their sins no more. I will forgive their sins and remember their sin no more. That means God chooses to forget and forgive. It's one of the things you and I as human beings, we really can't do. That we've been hurt, we've been betrayed. It's hard for us to forget that. We can forgive, but it's still hard for us to forget. But the God of the universe, do you understand this? The God of the universe chooses to forgive and to forget. So whatever guilt you're carrying this day, whatever shame you're carrying this day, know this, that when God forgives, God also forgets. So when you die and go to heaven, and you greet God face to face, and you say to God, you know that thing, that moment, that regret, I'm so sorry for that, God looks at you out of God's gracious love. And smiles at you and says I have no memory of that I have no memory of that I've forgiven you and I have no memory of your guilt or your shame or your sadness or your sin that is what prayers of confession do we are forgiven and God chooses to forget. So we continue this service of prayer as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. This is something that you and I have been doing for many, many years. We join believers for nearly 2,000 years who have been praying this prayer. We pray it because Jesus taught it to his disciples. In two places in scripture, of the four Gospels that appears in Matthew and in Luke, doesn't appear in Mark, doesn't appear in John, Matthew and Luke talk about Jesus teaching this prayer. Oh, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 6, Jesus is observing others praying. Uh, Religious leaders, uh, former professors of seminaries, um, senior pastors of large churches in Prairie Village, Kansas, sort of religious, self-important people. I can say that because he's not here right now. Jesus is annoyed because these religious leaders are praying, drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus tells his disciples, don't pray like that. And he gives them these words to pray. In Luke 11, which is where this appears, chapter 11, the disciples actually ask Jesus, how do we pray? And he teaches them these words. It's why we pray it together. So two things I want you to notice right away. A number of you already get this, right? Um, The second word in the prayer, go, our Father. Bible scholars are intrigued by this, that Jesus would teach us to pray, our Father. It's actually an endearment. It's, It's our Papa. It's our Dad. It's informal and it's intimate. And the idea, the very idea that you and I would have the audacity to say, our Papa, Our dad, our father, talks about the relationship. Because if God is the father of us all, then we are all God's. That's who you and I are. We are praying as the children of God to our mother, our father, our parent. The other line that's really interesting is this forgive us our which can also, some people say, forgive us our multisyllables, right? There's another one that can also say, forgive us our... Oh, good, golly, you got it, right? So some believers will say, Christians will say debts. some will say sins, some will say trespasses. Um, we Presbyterian traditions say debts, partly because we're Presbyterian and our good Scottish-Irish heritage is really focused on money and debts, but that's okay, right? It's actually in our Bible work that Matthew 6, the word there, forgive us our, it's a Greek word, and it really means to owe something, that we owe something. We are indebted, so we claim the word debts. Now, in Luke 11, that Greek word is sins, translated sins. And so other traditions pray sins. Later on in Matthew, in verse 6, no, verse 14, Matthew 6:14. there's a conversation about trespasses, but it's not in the original instruction about the Lord's prayer. So trespasses is also okay. All we're saying is we owe something to God. We've sinned against God. We've trespassed. We've gone to a place we should not go. And we are in need of God's forgiveness. One more thing. You don't have to do this, but today if you would. Whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer, I've done this for 20-plus years. I don't know where I got this. But whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer, I take my hands and I hold them out. I rest them on my knees, or if I'm standing like this, I just stand here like this. And all I'm trying to do is symbol, symbolize to my body, signal to my body, Roger, do your best to be open to the spirit in this moment because you're praying the prayer that our Lord taught disciples. You're praying it after nearly 2,000 years. They're praying this prayer in Western Haiti today amidst the devastation of earthquake and a tropical storm. They're praying this prayer in Kabul. I know that. I told you this. One of my former students is a chaplain. And he is serving right there at the airport in Kabul. And I know for a fact he led worship this day. And people gathered around him, women and men, and they prayed this prayer. So I invite you to pray with me. As our Lord taught us, open your hands. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. For thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So as we continue praying matters, this last verse In James 5 16 James says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective James says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. James closes his instructions about praying matters with these verses. Did you get that? That when we pray, we are healed. Healing happens. I think that's the purpose of prayer. American mystic and Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, he was in a conversation with the interviewer. And the interviewer said to Thomas Merton, so brother, as you have prayed all of these years, are you hoping to change God? And Merton smiled and said, when I pray, I'm not hoping to change God. When I pray, I am hoping that I would be changed. I'm not trying to change God. I am praying so that I would be changed, so that I would be aligned more to the Holy Spirit, so that I would know what God desires for me to do and to live and how to love God and love others. So I was thinking about this nature of change, praying so that God would change us. And I came upon this amazing piece of research It's in a book titled How God Changes Your Brain. It's written by a neuroscientist named Andrew Newberg. Newberg has done a number of studies about God and the nature of the brain. He's a neuroscientist by training. He's brilliant. I've actually heard him lecture a couple of times now. Um, Newberg's most famous study is that he did a series of looking at the brains of Buddhist monks and Roman Catholic nuns, these religious men and women who have been praying and meditation for years. And here's what is so cool. What Newberg found, he did brain scans of them, functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRIs, while they're in prayer, deep prayer, And he discovered that the part of the brain that pays most attention to ourselves, is most aware of ourselves, our own needs, our own concerns, during these deep meditative moments of prayer, that part of the brain in these monks and in these nuns actually is diminished. The heat blooms are not firing. The synapses are not connecting. There's very little activity happening in that part of the brain. What Newberg discovered is during those moments of deep prayer and meditation, the part of the brain that is attentive to the rest of the world, the part of the brain that watches and sees what's happening beyond oneself, the heat blooms there are exploding. The synapses are firing exponentially. And then Newberg had the insight to do brain scans of these monks and nuns after they'd finished their long prayers, when they were at rest. And he discovered that even at rest in these brains, the part of the brain that pays attention to self is less active. And the part of the brain that pays attention to others and connects to the rest of the world continues to be more active. Newberg says, prayer changes, rewires our brain. There's all kinds of evidence that when you and I pray, our pulse rate slows down, our blood pressure drops? Merton said, I don't pray to change God. I pray that I might be changed. Friends, when we pray, we are changed. Our brains are rewired. Our bodies are changed. So one more thought, thought. I taught on faculty, you know, for a number of years at Columbia Seminary. One of our colleagues was Justo Gonzalez. Dr. Gonzalez is a professor of history. He's a United Methodist and taught at Emory's School of Theology. His wife, Catherine Gonzalez, was on faculty with us at Columbia. I would see Justo all the time. Catherine Gonzalez, also a church historian. I thought, yeah, great, two church historians. It must be really lively to have dinner at your home. Anyway, um, they were there talking a lot. And Husto, I heard, was going to have surgery the next week. And so I saw him in the hallway and said, oh, Husto, hey, I heard about surgery. Catherine told us about your surgery. Justo, I'm thinking about you. And he smiled and shook his head and said, of course you are. And I said, what? He said, Roger, thank you, but that's all you Presbyterians do is you think. I said, I'm sorry, what? And He goes, Roger, I'm a Methodist. All of my Methodist friends, they're saying, Justo, I'm praying for you next week. All my Presbyterian friends, you all say, Justo, I'm thinking about you next week. He said, Roger, I don't want you to think. I want you to pray. I said, Justo, that's what I mean. And he said, then say it. Say, I'm praying for you next week. I said, okay, I'm praying for you next week. He said, thank you. Was that so hard? No, it wasn't. I've stopped saying that. I've stopped saying I'm thinking about you. And I've started saying I'm praying for you. Because praying changes us. It brings us closer to God. It aligns us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we finished now this series on practical wisdom from James. James reminds us that listening matters, and actions matter, and words matter. And today, James reminds us that praying matters too. Because the world is going to be changed. It'll be changed through you and through me by our prayers to the one who is attentive to us. So now unto God, who by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine. Unto this one God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.